The Derek and Mike Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod. Check out our website, DerekandMike.com. My name is Mike. This is my boy, Derek. What's up, Mike? What's up, everybody? Hanging. You like how I kind of worked in our uh, our online shit there? Just kind of shoehorned that into our intro? I do. You mean Derek and Mike Pod at Twitter and DerekandMike.com? Um, yeah, yeah, I meant, uh, that's exactly what I meant, how you can tweet us at Derek and Mike Pod on Twitter, or you can go to our website at DerekandMike.com. Oh, I like that. I like that. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay, dude, seriously, I got some important shit. I need your advice. Ooh, like um, it. Yeah, bring it. I, my wife and I are struggling with potty training, and uh, you're a few years ahead of me in the dad game, and I need to know when you did it, how you did it. And, uh, I need help. We, we are struggling with it, dude. Okay. So what is the situation you're butting up against that, that needs to be resolved? Is it like a preschool situation? Uh, oh no, no. Oh, well, I mean, that's coming in maybe a few months or whatever. So we would like to have our older boy, Michael, who's two and a half now dialed in potty training wise before he goes to like pre preschool or whatever that is before he starts going somewhere. Um, that's not the reason we're doing it now. We're just doing it now because he's ready. Um, he's showing all the signs that that he's supposed to be showing that's telling us he's ready to do potty training. And the problem with it is certainly not him. He receives new information and learns new things faster than shit. The problem is us and our ability to be consistent and stay on top of it um, because it's kind of a chore and our lives are so busy. We're both working full time. And it's really difficult for us to just be on the ball with it and get him on the potty. And sometimes sitting him on the potty is a very time consuming kind of thing. And I know it's important and I'm struggling with being consistent and dedicating the time to getting it done for him. And I feel like I'm falling short on him. I feel like I'm shortchanging the boy. Uh, like he's ready and we're fucking lagging. You know what? I, okay. I think that we had a similar experience and I don't think that you're alone in that. Now, what I will say is that I think you guys are just fine. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we can get an expectation on what we think that should happen, but really a lot of times I feel like that things ha when things happen naturally and you're not pushing the river as much, it's it just it's easier on everybody. Like you're not going to criti criticize yourself, you're not going to think that Michael's being um you know, left behind. And so mm -hmm. like we, we got some, I think we probably heard some outside influence on that situation saying like, you know, yeah, she should be potty trained now or, but, um, you know, we were slow to do it just because of the reasons you said, but you know, I'll tell you what, you know, he's not going to be five years old and, and peeing in a diaper. Like it's going to happen somehow, some way. Right. When, you know. when did you guys start trying and how did, how did it look for you guys? Mm, you know, it was kind of when she wanted to do it more, like when oh, it, like she was kind of like, I want to use the potty. Like she sees you using the potty, like Michael's doing that. He sees that we use the potty and he's like, Hey, uh, 
that looks cool. What's up with that? You know, he wants to see it. He wants, he's interested in it. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't really a forceful thing. You know, it wasn't like, Oh, Hey, you need to use the potty. We need, because then, then right. you get stress around the whole situation. Right. And you don't want stress around just using the potty. So I, I think it was just with us, it was just more of a natural thing. You know, we didn't, it, we did worry about it at first. We got a little bit of outside criticism, I think, for it because Maybe, oh, like Jones's kind of thing. Like someone else with a similar age kid is like, oh, Joni's already potty trained. You're like, oh, we haven't even started yet. Are we behind? Are we? Yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. Yep. But you know, I'm I mean, a little of that. Yeah. yeah. Where not necessarily from anyone personally, but when I, I started looking into it, trying to find some info online, like it's totally new to me. I don't know anything about potty training and. And uh, so I tried to learn a little bit about it, um, bought a book on Audible about it. It was a pretty good book, too. It's uh, potty training in a weekend because, you know, everything has to be um, hacked and turned into just a instant turnaround kind of a project. The McDonald's so version of everything. Yeah. 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 No. So but the author does a pretty good job. She's super experienced and go through, goes through all of her potty training credentials. And she's fucking, I don't know, got a Ph.D. in potty training. And it's called... Uh, Potty Training in a Weekend um, by uh, Becky Becky Mansfield. And it's a good book, super quick. She does a really good job of explaining it. Um, and it's on Audible, and, and the, the voiceover is really, really great. The narrator, her name's Kirsten Oliphant. And um, she talks about potty training in a weekend, which when I saw that, I was like, oh, I mean, how's that work? Because that sounds awesome. We've been dragging this thing out for months, and we're making no progress. Yeah. And the she talks about one thing that's kind of interesting, and I think you'll like this because you like conspiracies. So there's a conspiracy involved in potty training, at least in America, um, where America is statistically the slowest potty training country in the world. Um, we normally do potty training somewhere between like one and four years, probably more commonly between like two and four years old. And... Other countries around the world, she gives a lot of examples, are doing potty training or at least potty management after like six months old, uh, six months to a year pretty commonly. And obviously like a six-month-old can't even like stand or walk, so they're not going to potty in a toilet or in a, in a kid potty. They are managed by the adults like taking the kid literally outside or over a potty and holding them and making like a noise that that triggers the 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 pottying so they'll kind of like hold them up over the grass or over a bucket or whatever and make like a tss noise or whatever and they'll do it every couple hours and eventually the little six-year-old baby learns oh this is when it's time to potty and they just go potty and then this saves the parents from having to clean up diapers or clean up any poop in the pants or whatever they just kind of uh, manage the potty by doing that every couple hours yeah well Other i think places good well I think, you know, part of that's probably the reason is that our kids don't work in factories. And, uh, um, well, yeah, <laughs> they're not making iPhones is what you're saying. Yeah. They're not making iPhones and, <laughs> and there might be a little more wealth here where people can afford diapers. Maybe, maybe that's, I don't know. Just a guess. Yes. Okay. So that's kind of where the conspiracy comes in. So long story short, uh, other countries potty train their kids and get them out of diapers much quicker than Americans do. Um, so that A might just be because we're able to afford more diapers. We're a little bit, you know, better off of a country than most. Um, but even in countries that are perfectly well off, like uh, in Europe and, and some of these places, they potty train much sooner. And in this book, Becky Mansfield equates it to 
um, a, a big diaper conspiracy. Yeah, like the big diaper lobby. I, did, I wasn't aware there was one, but apparently there's big diaper. And <laughs> big the, diaper. <laughs> the companies who make diapers have gone through a lot of these like consumer campaigns where they hire specialists or doctors to put out information that basically says like, hey, uh, don't rush it. It's really good for your kid to go through like the whole pull up phase and and uh, uh, don't stress your kid out and, and allow them to take as long as they want and basically buy diapers for four or five years. Don't worry about it. And through these big diaper companies, they've pushed that messaging through American um, consumer thinking. And that's why America is one of the only countries in the world that sells like pull-ups style diapers. Um, and, uh, I never thought about that. And we're in the phase right now where Michael is wearing pull-ups. Um, and I don't know, dude, my first thought on it is I don't really care. I don't mind changing diapers. It's not a huge hassle. Uh, so I'm not too worried about it. I just want to make sure we're not shortchanging him and holding him back. But I think like you said, it's just not that big of a deal. Like it'll happen. Um, and then the other side of me now is thinking, well, I'm falling victim to big diaper and I had no idea. I didn't even know it existed. And they're manipulating my buying of diapers. Those bastards. They've got me. That's funny. You know, I, I can't say that it's not a plausible thing. I suppose that, you know, they're put out study. I mean, studies are always put out that favor, uh, large corporations that are making buco bucks. I mean, it right, happens like every smoking day. companies are hiring doctors to go like, yeah, smoking's not so bad. You know, if you look at this or that or whatever and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah they're, I mean, they're, just, they're pushing their agenda. Just watch what we call the news. And, you know, if you think about it, it's almost really just a, a continuous uh, commercial in a way of uh, selling certain things. Maybe not the yeah. whole news, but um, but they, the they do. The majority of it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, look at, yeah, because look at the commercials in between the news. I mean, there's the sponsors right there. So do you think they're going to say something critical about that? Hell no. Oh, fucking pampers. Damn you. Yeah. But I, that's hilarious so, uh, about Big Diaper. And <laughs> it's also funny that you think that I... Now, the, I, I ha, I'll bring it up. I don't love conspiracies. I can't say that I love conspiracies. What I will say is that I see conspiracies mm-hmm. and uh, I just see them. You know? Well, I think and, you're very aware. And you're not the kind of guy to just um, take things as they're fed to you. If someone tells you something, you're a critical thinker and you're going to you're going to go like, oh, OK, I'll receive that piece of information you just gave me. But I'm going to go do my own research and thinking and verifying. And you come to conclusions through your own critical analysis. You don't just consume what you're fed. Thank you. I, I, I will have to agree with that because and I don't just listen to like one source. Like I have to hear it like when I believe something is kind of. There, there's actually an instance where I can say that um, there's sometimes when things are plausible to me. And it's when I hear the same news told in a totally different way uh-huh. from two different sources that do not know each other at all. And then, and then when that happens, it triggers something. I'm like, okay, that could be true. And we always have to discern. We always have, we can't just completely buy into anything, every, any and everything that we hear. Sure. Because there's, there's, there's so much bad information out there. Do you ever do the thing where that made me think of when, uh, when something big happens that 
Um, when something big enough happens that any news station has to address it in one way or another, um, I like to flip back and forth between the uber polarized news outlets, like, for example, like CNN and Fox, those, at least in my opinion, are the furthest apart from each other mm -hmm. on agenda pushing. Yeah. Um, so when something really big happens that neither network can ignore, I really like to flip back and forth between them and kind of just see the way that they're both reporting the same thing in entirely different ways from totally different perspectives and different spins, very different news stories based on identical facts. And I find that interesting, almost scary, but interesting still. I think that's a great point. And I will say that, um, yeah, that that's what we all should do. And cause I, I check all news. I, I look at what everybody's saying, you know, sure. why not? I gotta, I gotta see what they're saying, you know, where, um, now I do think that even still those two news outlets right there, I do think that when you traverse up the chain and you follow the money, I think they have, you're going to find a place where they meet a common interest. Sure. Sure. So and, by mixing in someone who's not so mass market, uh, oriented like a CNN and a Fox, um, then you kind of get some more middle ground or at least some varying perspective influence wise than, than those two media giants who at the top of all, uh, at, at the top of those two media giants, there's going to be some sort of common denominators is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. There, all right. There's, um, there's a hook in, in both of them. Uh, okay. the, I'll just say just because I love this news agency so much and uh, this news agency does not like Trump and they don't like the left. <laughs> they don't like anybody that's in office, period. Uh, Wearechange.com. It's Luke Radowski. And uh, right. he's he's pretty much a dead center libertarian. Wearechange.com. Uh, I think it's .org. .org. And how do you read news? Do, do, do they show up like in your Google News feed? Do you aggregate them through uh, like Feedly or something? Or how do you get your... We are changed news. I look at we are changed through um, Telegram. I look at it through YouTube, and mm, okay, and they also have a uh, LukeUncensored.com. I don't. So Luke I, is is like an anchor on this news channel. There's multiple people. It's not just Luke, or is it only Luke? It is. It is just Luke. Yeah, it really is oh, just okay. Luke. And I, I've watched him for years, and I, I gotta say, like he is. He really traverses that middle path. It's it's pretty huh. phenomenal because sometimes I'm I listen to him and I'm just like, is he really that middle? Is he really that? He and he is just so centrist of like calling bullshit on everybody. All right. Um, he he is he to me he's like a, the definition of a of a good reporter, a journalist. I like that. So does he give a lot of opinion? It sounds like maybe his opinion is trying to cherry pick from both sides or or talk say, hey, here's what this side's saying, here's what that side's saying, here's the facts, uh, make up your own mind. That's exactly what he does. He gives very little right. opinion. He will, like he will, he, he, he shows videos a lot of times about, you know, the All news, right. uh, maybe little video clips. And then at the end, I mean, don't get me wrong, you can't not have any opinion. He does give some, well, but, yeah. but he doesn't like, he doesn't color the entire thing. Um, and he calls BS on any, everything. Like oh, whether like it's that. right or left. It, yeah. You know, it, it was one of those, um, 
I really, uh, it's, it's one of those things where like, it's so refreshing to hear somebody that is really just giving the, the news to his best of his ability. Well, I have thought that that's what I wish existed still. And I've never heard of We Are Change. I don't know Luke, but I'm going to go check it out. And if he's, if he's anywhere along those lines, then uh, I'll be happy to have found him because so little of that exists anymore, dude. Like, I, I miss, and I don't know if it ever existed, but it certainly existed in, in a much more common way than it does now. Is like when, when a reporter would just tell you what happened and not what you're supposed to think about what happened. Yeah. Um, that is fucking rare, if not non-existent. And, um, that's cool to hear that something out there is, is maybe, uh, trying to be that because dude, so much online news, honestly, through like YouTube, it's, 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 um, so full of fucking nonsense that I stopped going to YouTube for news. Um, and you can't watch major media network news for any real hard facts. You, you just know that whatever they're telling you has been cherry picked to support an agenda. And then yeah. it's 90% opinion anyway. Uh -huh. It's like, dude, you can get one piece of information on a, on a network like CNN or Fox, one piece of information and a hundred pieces of opinion about that piece of information. Like, goddamn, that's an inefficient use of time. Don't spend all that time telling me what to think. Just give me info and I'll think my own thing. Just tell me what happened. It's hard to find. Yeah, really. Yeah, totally, completely agree. Like that is, that's, and so refreshing just to hear you say that too, you know, because you don't hear people even talk about that. People are just like, oh, I'm on this side or I'm on this side, right? This is the news that I subscribe to. And yeah. they don't, they don't look outside that bubble and it gets scary kind of in a way, because then you can tell yeah. when that news agency is like really pushing on people because mm -hmm. then, um, yeah, people start coming after you in a way. And it's just, well, uh, I, I find it kind of fun to, since I do flip back and forth between those mass media networks, like for me, most often that's CNN or Fox and, or maybe like msnbc and fox which i don't know in my mind msnbc and cnn are both very similar uh types of news but i would kind of kind of keep half a finger on the pulse of, of of both of those networks and then when you go out and you talk to people in the world you can very quickly identify what what news network they're getting their information from because they're regurgitating the same ideas and a lot of times using the exact same wording that was just used on those networks recently. Um, so I think those people believe what they're saying is their own thought, but it's very clearly being regurgitated from one of these major media networks. Yeah. Did you see that one video where um, they had a whole bunch of news, local news anchors repeating the exact same thing? And they, they had a video where they were just repeating the same thing. It was about fake news. Uh, and uh -huh. it was like fake news. And then they would start talking about fake news. They had a complete script. They had to follow verbatim. And then they flipped yeah. over to another network and then another network and then another network. And then on the screen, eventually like it showed you like, um, 60 boxes of them all saying the exact same thing. Wow. It was, well, and that's, and that's like either bandwagon shit, like one network notices another network saying some keyword and then they think it's good for ratings, so they're repeating it. Or they're being told by their programming overlords that, hey, this is this is the keyword agenda that we're using right now, so dispense this, uh, my minions. 
Yeah, no, there's no independence. This was fed to them. It, it was said verbatim. Yeah. I mean, it was like, yeah, wow. it was like two paragraphs. I'll send that to you. Uh, it was wow. like two paragraphs of, of information. And these people, you realize that these anchors, they're just actors that yeah, are yeah. delivering the news. Just they're totally. acting. Oh, yep. hey, and news today. And they sound so official. And we're so mentally trained that when we hear like a professional voice, we need to pay attention to it. And, the, and then it's a voice of authority. So like the voice, yeah. to me, I think the voice and the way they present it, there's really kind of almost like a, there's a programming that we have where we switch off when we hear a certain type of voice uh, give us information. It just like, we, we turn off our conscious mind and we just let it flow in and we believe it. It's really kind of uh, a, little, a little scary. Yeah, no, no, it's a lot of it scary. Um, and I think um, the readiness that people absorb that information and treat it like their own thoughts is a freakish, uh, well, you said scary already. It's scary mm -hmm. because it's so easy to like inject opinions into people and then they just kind of take those and, and regurgitate them to their sphere as if they were their own ideas. Like that's, that's all freakish, man. That's how uh, propaganda just um, spreads. And uh, it's not a good thing. It's not a new thing for sure. I mean, that's always been going on in all of human civilization history, but it's scary to watch it go on on the level of um, um, the, the massive level it's going on right now. And it's, and, and I'm sorry to say, but it's how things like 1930s Germany happened. Um, totally. That's exactly, that's, that's the most obvious uh, example of what it can turn into for sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's how things like, like, yeah, genocide, um, start to sound like not such a bad idea when anyone on the surface now would just be like, how could anyone go along with that nonsense in Germany at that time? And that's yeah. certainly not the only example of that kind of propaganda mind shifting and genocide tendencies. Um, that's just the most readily available to our recent history. Um, you know, it trips me out sometimes just thinking about that era not like I was alive then, but that was less than a hundred years ago. That was not that long ago. And a lot of people are still alive that lived through that and played a role in that. There's still a lot of veterans from those wars some, um, yeah, alive some. today. Most of them are kids. Most of kids, right? I mean, there were kids during that time, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, that's uh. Well, and I say that I do say that because there, I did watch a Holocaust survivor from there warn us about what's going on now in the world, and it it was shaking. Yeah, because what she said, the way she said, is is that the 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 medical complex teamed up with the government, hmm. and that's how it started. Wow, wow. Yeah, I know that's uh that's a crazy rabbit hole to go down. But that is the kind of thought altering propaganda shit that uh that we're all watching happen now. And it always goes on. Like I'm saying, it's not like any of this is super rare. It's just right now it's super prevalent. So yeah. it's uh it's hard not to it's hard not to notice. I will tell you one one thing about the news and this goes back to I think the very first point that you brought up when you said, um, you know, when there's an incident that they can't ignore that, yeah. 
they both then you know you you that's the time when you switch to varying news yeah. sources and you want to see what they say yes and what what te- what gets me sometimes the the red flag for me when something big happens is when they come to a conclusion really quickly and then they then they it's gone it's off the news cycle Oh, okay. You know what I mean? It was like, like uh-huh. um, one example was that uh, that crazy incident where the, um, uh, and this is all dark. I don't know if we want to go in this. We should probably uh, eat some ginger after this so we can kind of clear our, I, clear our I palate. I don't like ginger. Oh, that's right. You don't like ginger. You... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just eat a giant fistful of wasabi. Yeah. <laughs> Real yeah. wasabi. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, it, it was the uh, the Christmas Day bomber, that guy that like blew up that thing uh, on Christmas Day or whatever. It was like I, like I within, remember that when within was that? 24 hours. Oh, in Nashville. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. When the whole like downtown area was blown up. That's yeah, right. Blown to fucking smith. I mean, that was just last year, right? Uh huh. Yeah, and that's right. Okay. Yeah, and there was some video of that from uh, taken from an alternate location where. It didn't show that motorhome blowing up first. It showed something striking down from above and blowing up first. And, really? Mm-hmm. Whoa. And then within 24 hours, all news stations had a conclusion, and they they never questioned it again. And I'm like, and hmm. They kind of dropped it. You're right. Totally dropped I, I, it. Yeah, wow. I, I didn't notice that. It totally escaped me. I remember that happening and thinking, oh my God, how crazy. Um, and then nothing. Yep. Same thing with the Vegas shooting. Wow. Vegas well, I was that being a big deal for a little while. That that kind of got dropped and swept under the rug? Well, okay, no. But the conclusion came about real fast on what happened. There huh. was a there was a conclusion drawn right away. He was this. This is what he did. Everybody agreed. We don't question that anymore. All right. Yeah. Let's uh let's profile him so we can put him in a box. Like like put him in a compartment, categorize him. Yeah. We need to label him something. Yeah. A yeah. lot of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of that. Yeah. Wow, man. That's interesting, dude. About the Nashville bombing, I totally didn't notice how quickly that was just kind of hush hush. But it totally did. It just went away. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you found news on, like, uh, obviously not major network news. No. Um, but some other video somewhere that showed something kind of coming down from this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Wow. I could probably find it again. Um, but, wow. Uh, and there may even be two videos of that. Because really, you know, nowadays you do kind of want more than one source. You know, and... Uh, but I do remember this this looking um, believable to me that huh. it wasn't that thing that blew up that it was something that appeared to get come down from the sky. Wow, you would man, yeah, that's uh, interesting, really, really interesting. I I'm totally caught up in my head now trying to search my memory for for what I remember from that because I sure do remember it happening. I even have a friend that. Uh, a coworker that I know pretty well who lived right in downtown Nashville, like right in one of those condos right above that main party street, which oh, is yeah. so much fun and so awesome. Downtown mm-hmm. Nashville, so so great. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives right there, like one block over or whatever. And when I saw that on the news, I was like, oh, fuck, Luke lives right there. Um, 
So I texted him and he was like, oh yeah, all good, bro. I actually moved out of that condo last month and now I'm in a new one. And, um, it was close, but not close enough to have any damage and so sad and all that. So he was fine. Um, and then not much after that on the news other than, Hey, it was this RV, whatever, whatever. That was the story. They were sticking to it. And I never heard anything different. Never heard any more. Yeah. He was, he was a programmer. He was right. a, a, cra- a single crazed programmer, whatever. Um, wow. Okay, nobody's asking questions anymore. It's gone. You can't trust programmers. Those those guys, <laughs> the shifty bunch. They well, have you ever seen the? Uh, they have like this um, website where you go on, and it was kind of like the early days of Facebook, where you showed a picture, and it's like, oh, it's like hot or not. Remember, it's yeah. like, oh, hot or not. <laughs> and it was yeah. like, and they show pictures of programmers and serial killers. <laughs> Oh and you're like, God. is he a programmer or is he a serial killer? You, know, you, <laughs> you virtually can't Uh-oh. tell the difference. Well, what's what? Okay, so I uh, I would default on race because I'm I'm a shallow racist bastard, and I would say if the guy's white, I'm voting serial killer because stat- statistically, most serial killers are white. Uh, I think I'm right about that, right? Most serial killers are white guys. I I think so. I think so. And, but I'll tell you what, though, there have been some recently that have come out that I saw. Um, that were African American and like a lot of people, mm. dude. A lot of fucking Seri- people. Uh-huh. Okay, so I don't know what draws the actual distinction between a serial killer and just a guy who killed a bunch of people. Um, but are the black guys you're talking about like serial killer serial killers like Dahmer and Manson and those? Well, I don't know if Manson was a serial killer. Uh, like Dahmer was a serial killer for sure. Um, but huh. no, yeah, no serial killer, yeah. Like literally, uh, like, huh? The whole prostitute angle, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, like that kind of shit. Uh huh. All right. Yeah. Well, no, no, they oh, the, they definitely exist. Well, um, way to poke holes in my racist assumptions. I thought all serial killers were white. Yeah. No, I I'm not. They probably probably more likely are. I would imagine. But but there was there's been a cut. I, I was just say that because there's been a couple recently. And when I say recently, I mean like within the last five years that have surprised me huh and and i'm talking about lots of fucking people dude like wow over a hundred like some crazy shit like that yeah that's definitely serial killery Mm -hmm. i know like mass shooters which is uh a tragic growing recent problem that we're all faced to reckon with uh the vast majority of them are white white guys uh you rarely see like a a latin woman out there you know doing Mm -hmm. a mass shooting and I don't know that that's ever happened. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, it, it usually so think, accompanies yeah. mental illness, I think, in uh, some in some form I, or faction. Oh, yeah. I mean, I it, ha- it has I mean, to, of any, course, right? There's no there's no decoupling that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, certainly uh, mental instability is playing a role in all of those, I have to assume, I hope. Um, but, uh, yeah, dude, on that website where it's, hey, is this guy a serial killer or a programmer? That's That's interesting. Huh. Sure, it's, it still exists in some form or fashion. I yeah, bet. I would think like, uh, okay, Pakistani or Indian guy, programmer. Uh, 20-year-old white kid, serial killer. <laughs> Wait, no, mustache. Uh, a heavy, heavy, heavy white guy with a mustache, serial killer, for sure. Well, you know, some of those, though, uh, I can't remember <laughs> the names of them, but some of them, they, they were like good-looking guys. They were like, you know... Um, Play, they look like play players, you know. You could tell, like, you know, they were attractive, and I mean, they're complete psychopaths. 
But sure. when you first look at some of those guys from the past, oh, Dahmer. Was it Dahmer? Like, he, like if you had not ever heard the, the name Dahmer and you just looked at his face, you know, and I think it's him. I don't think that I would be like, oh, yeah, that guy's clearly a serial killer. No, no, no. I mean, uh, it's hard to look at him that way now after the perspective of knowing what he did, because that's just implanted in your your thought. But if you were just to look at him, he just looks like kind of like a quiet guy. Like he probably like works at a bank or, you know, cashier at a grocery store or something like just super common, like eh, just some guy like he didn't stand out as crazy eye psycho guy or whatever. He just kind of looked like a normal dude. Yeah, it's like an insurance salesman or something. Well, it would be it would be a a benefit to be an attractive guy if you're going to be a serial killer because if you're like super ugly and scary, like it's going to be really hard to lure victims to your house. People are just going to go like, "No, nah, I don't want to go to your house." Not not because you're scary or I think you're a killer. You just you're ugly. I don't want to come hang out with you. You know, it's going to be harder to get people to your house. So if you're attractive, that's much better bait to attract uh, people on which to prey. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. That's, that probably led to these, I hate calling well, it success, but it led to their <laughs> their sprees uh, and just enabled yeah. them, not su- success. I need, to, <laughs> I need to flush the toilet on that word. That was horrible. They, they were tremendously successful. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, success is uh, relative to your goal, I suppose. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a career path for us being two super good looking guys. You know, we can always <laughs> oh, be uh, successful serial killers. I suppose there's that. Oh, that's funny. I got to give that a bump bump just oh, for uh, man. Just because we are we're, we're going down weird paths here. Yeah. We are going. To, you, you know what? Okay, speaking of serial killers, I don't know if your wife or any women in your life uh, fall into this same category, but. I find that women are very interested in serial killers or just murder in general. And maybe that's just the women I know, but like my wife and my mom are super into murder shows. And Mm, my wife loves to watch like, uh, you know, unsolved murders or anything, really anything with murder. It's even become a joke. Like we'll be flipping around the guide on the, on the TV or whatever, flipping through. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, Sarah, uh, murder. And she'll laugh. But honestly, she would probably want to watch it because anything about murder or anything about serial killers, she's instantly interested in. And uh, my mom, the same. She she loves uh, anything about murder. And I don't get it. I'm not interested in murder or murderers at all. I don't care why psychos do things, why they think the way they think. It's like of zero interest to me. I just think, oh, they suck. They're murderers. I, I have no interest in them. I am like your uh, mother and your wife. Um, All right. I used to You're watch into murderers, huh? Yeah. Uh huh. I used to watch like a uh, Dateline NBC. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I haven't watched that stuff for quite a while, but there was a, a little stint where I was kind of into that stuff. Um, and then what do you have? You have the first 48, which kind of gives the police and detective perspective of okay. murders that happen. A lot of times those are kind of like the inner city ones. And they call it the first 48 because. Uh, statistically speaking, if you don't solve that case within the first 48 hours, the chances of that case ever being solved is like goes oh. to nothing almost. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's really critical there. And then, uh, you know, some of those, there's a couple different unsolved um, shows that are really interesting, but yeah, no. So for you, is it more the mystery or solving the mystery you're interested in, or are you interested in the murderer? 
No, I, I can't. I don't. I don't think I'm interested in the murderer. I think I'm interested in, um, quite literally, probably just the rush that it gives you by watching it. First of all, all right. But, but there is. I mean, there is an aspect as to like, um, you know, here's one thing I think. I like the justice aspect of it because they caught the motherfucker okay. first, right? Because that's right. why they're showing this shit, right? Because along those same lines, I am a massive Judge Judy fan. And oh. my wife thinks that's so weird because... I like Judge Judy. Isn't she great? Yeah, she just smacks down motherfuckers. She's like, uh, bitch? Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, she's kind of an asshole, but hey, when you're dealing with scum of the earth all the time, I think you'd become an asshole too. Um... And uh, she's very logical. I've even seen her be very um, understanding in a lot of cases where maybe someone where you think like, oh, Judge Judy's going to put the smack down on this guy. Uh, she's surprised me before where she's like surprisingly pragmatic or understanding or whatever. I'm like, hey, fucking Judge Judy, there's a heart in there. Not bad. Not bad. I'm impressed. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think if she's she knows layered, I like her. Yeah, I think I think if she knows that somebody has their listening ears on. You know, like she mm -hmm. doesn't she say that all the time. Put on your listening ears. Put on your <laughs> listening ears. So condescending. <laughs> oh man, yeah, she can be a real condescending bitch. She's got to be though, right? Just like you're saying. Totally. I mean, she deals with like the yeah. lowest common denominator on everything. Yeah, so she's she, tough, man. She lays the smackdown uh, fairly. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm a fan. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to derail your thought by uh by agreeing with you that Judge Judy is awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I guess. To that thing i mean the the other interesting part is just like like what motivated them you know and that that's another interesting thing because a lot of times you'll just find that um it's either money so obviously they because let's face it most of the time it's like a couple i think i think it's mostly couples yeah where like they're married or like one um and the woman if it's a woman that does it it's like usually like poison you know, oh yeah, like yeah. a woman's women are more likely mo mm -hmm. to do a, a, like to murder in a sneaky way. Well, I mean, they're kind of forced to be more crafty with their murdering because they're they're less strong. They're the weaker sex. So obviously not always, but most of the time, they can't just overpower a man and like kill him with a hammer. That's too risky. So they have to do something sneaky, like yeah, you know, put strychnine in his food or something. Yeah, it makes makes complete sense. It's practical. Um, yeah, and then they'll say like, "Oh, the husband died with like enormous amounts of like uh, arsenic in his system because well, they'll, they'll go and dig the body back up or whatever, and they they get his fingernails and they're like, in his fingernails he had like a billion times more arsenic than like a regular person would have, you know? So they're <laughs> dangerous like, levels of rat poison are in this guy. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know what that means, but uh, shocking. Yeah, and then right. you get the greedy ass." Um, I mean, a lot of times it's motivated by greed, but it's just mm -hmm. horrible when you see one that's like just pure life insurance policy. And then they figure oh, out, God. like sometimes they figure out, oh, this motherfucker also, when we looked into it, he also had another wife that just tragically died. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, ooh. Yeah, that's, uh, see, dude, I would call that a serial killer. Like, yeah the the black widow thing where it's like oh this this lady has had four husbands and they all died mysterious deaths and she inherited a lot of money from all four of them like oh no isn't that a serial killer yeah cer certainly i mean if you can prove she committed all four of those murders but assuming she did she poisoned them all slowly or figured out some other sneaky way of killing all four of these husbands and inheriting their wealth 
that's serial killery to me, at least. It is because I mean, if you take the word serial, you know, it's one after another after another. You know, I yeah. mean, like that's what uh, serially means, really. So it's like, right. And obviously, to their point, like for them, it's not a big deal. Like life, life is expendable to to these people, and they don't. Yeah, yeah. Like ending another compassion. person's life purely to inherit uh, some money is like okay. Uh, that to me is, is sickening, um, to, uh, value some material thing over another person's life. Like a life is such a, like such a, a precious thing that, that, that to me is, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. And anyone who thinks that way to me is just like instantly repulsive and labeled a murderer in my mind. And yeah, you can you can kind of differentiate between the types of murder, like the different degrees of murder and all that argument. And I don't know, I'm not interested in that. Uh, to me, it's just like, okay, if you choose to kill a person, regardless of the means or motive, uh, you're, you're a certain kind of shitty to, to end another person's life. You know, that, that's kind yeah. of where I fall on it. You know what I don't understand is like, how could you live with somebody that wants to kill you and you don't know it. That you know, I, is either A, like, you're blind, or B, the other person is very fucked up in the head to uh, make you feel safe until their moment of murder. I guess. Uh -huh. I mean, I, I would like to think that I would have a little bit of insight on that because, I mean, I mean, how could you hide that? I mean, you would have to be a person that is probably like, well, first of all, I think that I don't think anything's hidden, right? Mm -hmm. I think everything is out in the open just because like if you think back at like workplaces where you've worked before, right, where you have um, you always see flings eventually sometimes happen in the workplace and everybody fucking knows it, right? When like one person's seeing another person at work and they're trying to keep it a secret. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's just it's it's obvious everybody knows that, that uh -huh. what's going on I yeah. mean, there's no hiding. And, and I feel like that that is the same kind of thing. Like if you live with somebody that wanted to do something to you like that, I mean, I think this, I would have to think that the signs are going to be there, but are you so, is this other person so blinded and so like living in their own like land and just uh, are not willing to compromise on the way their life is or, they don't, they don't want to shake up their belief system, I guess. Um, is that what goes on? I don't know. Hmm. But I never mm -hmm. could understand mm -hmm. that. Hmm. 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 Yeah, I don't know. That's, I don't know, dude. It's, it's, it's hard to speculate on other people's motives or whatever, but it is, it is like kind of shocking or concerning or whatever that some people feel like they can hide uh, such bad intentions or, or just bad thoughts. And then I think you're right. It can only be hidden so much. And if you're really looking for it, like if you're in the house with that person, you're living with them, you're married to them, you should have that inclination. But then I think also there's an element of, of uh, marriages with really bad, uh, elements or really bad connection and people just kind of living on through it. You know, I don't know. Mm, yeah. Maybe feeling trapped, maybe for the kids, maybe, for whatever reason, um, and then uh, eventually she just puts arsenic in your cornflakes. I don't know. <laughs> That's fucking scary, dude. It sucks that that exists. Like, 
we, we've talked about it before. Like, life is so short anyway. Um, why would you kill someone else? Like, they're dying already. They're going to die soon. Like, you really need to expedite that for your own personal gain? Like, why can't you just leave or not involve yourself with that person? You really got to end that person? Um, that's a weird control mind defect uh, yeah. to want to kill another person. Like, man. It's like the you, most cowardly yeah thing like i mean yeah it, it like if somebody wanted out and yeah it's just so cowardly yeah but but, yeah. There, but then again there's so many people i think that are like in relationships that shouldn't be in relationships to begin with really totally totally hey i hate to say this but i am having someone freak out at work and it's totally taken away my focus would you mind if we just pause for a second and I can put this to bed and then we can jump back into this so I can be here 100%? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'll pause it right here. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks, D. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, I couldn't ignore that problem and I couldn't focus while the problem went on. So I handled it real quick and we are back to talk about murder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all yeah. murdered out. I don't like murder a lot, but... Uh, it sounds like you do. I'm surprised. I don't know. I thought that was uh, unique to my wife and my mom, but you're into murder too, huh? Yeah, I guess I guess I'm intrigued by it, by just the circumstances and what leads somebody to that. I'm not like obsessed with murder per se, but just maybe the deranged psychological uh, ways that would drive somebody to that. And um, there's a lot of dark circumstances a lot of times that surround those things and. I don't know. I think, you know, it also was kind of exhilarating to watch some of those things sometimes. Not going to oh, lie. Yeah. You know, no, I get sucked into them sometimes too. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't seek it out. It doesn't light me up like it does my wife and my mom. But I also know that the three of you guys aren't the only ones because there are a hell of a lot of murder shows out there. So there must be an audience. Maybe I'm the weird one who doesn't uh, find murder interesting because there are lots of shows um, targeted directly at murder lovers. So, yeah, there are, you, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what my, uh, greatest show that was kind of along those kind of lines. Um, this wasn't so much psychology, but, uh, like psychology of a, a murderer, but this was more so just exhilarating just to watch because they were real life circumstances. It was called, what was it called? Um, I should not be alive. I uh. think. Okay. What it was called, and then they had another another version of that that came, but what it was That's... was people that had been in circumstances that were just like, fuck, like like one guy was like trapped, like his sailboat sank on his way to uh, Cuba, and okay. he was trapped at sea on his little floaty raft for sixty days. Sixty. Sixty days. Okay, the one thing I can't imagine a possible way of surviving that amount of time on a raft is water. How do you, you can't live more than like a couple of days without water. Food, you can go a long time. Right. Uh, but water. I'll explain it. it. I think oh, I, I'll explain it to the yeah. best of my ability. All right. So um, there's like some kind of plastic dome, like ups, like if you think about a beach ball, it's like half of a beach ball kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I think you like put it over top of the water 
and water evaporates from the ocean, condensates on that, and then you drink the condensation. Of course, that's not enough. He's got to drink his own urine. Oh, but eventually you run out of pee, right? If you're not taking any water in, you're not producing any pee. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, he got it from fish because he there was some way that ooh. he was also able to fish. Okay. And get a fish every once in a while. Wow. I got to watch that one again. Yeah, but man, can you can you just imagine 60 days? Can you imagine how slow that 60 days would go? How long that would feel? Uh, day to day, like in the moment, not knowing if you're ever going to live or, or starve to death or whatever, like this is dragging on forever. But even at the end of it, like, man, that must have felt like a lifetime. No doubt. And, and can you wow. imagine how much things just did not affect him after that? Like your boss chewing you out or you getting oh. fired from your job or like, uh, yeah. They're just I like, Hey, it, we're really sorry about this, Steve. He's like, yeah, no biggie, dude, I'm good. No, no problem. This is not the worst time I've ever had. I'm, I'm cool. I drank my own urine for 60 days. I, I think I can do this. I think, <laughs> I, think I can get fired. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, the idea of drinking pee is so revolting. But, uh, I mean, any of us would do it if you have to. If you're dying of thirst, you would do anything, right? I think even if you eat or drink, like, animal blood, there's some waterish substance, sustenance in, in that. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're starving to death, you, you just, you just do it, you know? I mean, you just drink your pee, but, um, what was that movie? Oh, it was a James Franco movie, not a true story or anything. So it's not as cool as yours, but he did a good job of a movie where he played like a hiker who fell into a hole and was alone and got his arm pinned under a boulder or something like that. So he was stuck inside of a hole out in the mountains and, uh, he, the whole thing is just like basically how he, you know, survived or tried to stay sane or what happened in the story of him stuck, stuck alone. And, uh, he ended up drinking his pee and he did a really good job of conveying the disgust of having to do it, but still having to do it. And, uh, he did a good job on that. Um, that was a crazy move. And I, I can't think of the name. If you think of, if you Google James Franco <laughs> drinking pee, <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm sure a better search term would, would find it, but James Franco hiking movie or uh, I don't know, whatever, but it's it's a really good movie. Are you in front of a computer? Can you do that for me real quick? We should say the name of it. Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that was based off a, a real life story because that oh, also... Oh, is it a true story? I think I know that happened in one of the episodes that I watched of like, I should not be alive because it was... Uh, oh my God. Yeah, it was literally is like... Is that true? Yeah, his his arm got stuck in a boulder and he had to saw it off, right? Yeah. 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 I think that uh, was a true I he, story. I, I don't remember how he did it, but he did cut off his own arm to get free and then walked out of the hills or the forest or wherever he was hiking, walked out of there with a severed arm and, uh, and lived. Oh yeah. It's called 127 hours. Okay. And James Franco alternate ending. I don't know how there would be an alternate, alternate ending. ending. Official like, hey. trailer for 127 hours. I mean, why would you call it 127 hours if it didn't actually happen? Interesting. Yeah, Google is 127 hours a true story. Okay. I, I, it makes sense because it doesn't really follow the story arc of a made-up movie. You know what I mean? Like, 
if you, I mean, maybe some out of the box writers will think of something that's this realistic, but this is the kind of thing where you're just kind of like, God damn, it's, it's a really hard to watch, but interesting and hard to turn off movie. Uh, he does a good job in that movie. I've never thought of him as that kind of an actor. Like when I think of James Franco, I think of like pineapple express, um, which I love. Mm-hmm. You ever seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Hilarious, stoner, lighthearted, funny. Like, he's that actor to me. And then when I saw him in this, I was just like, oh, damn, dude. James Franco got chops. That's a that's a gnarly bit of acting there. He did a great job. Okay, I found it. Is 127 hours based on a true story? Yes. 127 hours is based on a true story. The movie is based on the experiences of Aaron Lee Ralston, which he had documented in his 2004 memoir titled Between a Rock and a Hard Place. <laughs> <laughs> I like that guy. He's got a sense of humor about it. Um, the book became the source material for the film story. Ralston was born in uh, 1975 in Ohio, graduate of uh, Carnegie uh, University. Uh, Ralston has always had an affinity for outdoor activities, especially mountaineering and canyon canyoneering. Yeah, not anymore, I bet. Uh, I don't know, man. Some of these people that, um, you know, you got to get back on the saddle. I, yeah, well, you got to respect that. I I think I would find a new hobby, but uh, I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I think I fall into that category too because, you know, I just, I don't want to die. No, I, well, yeah, that dying would suck, but I don't know. I don't think I'd want to cut my own arm off or drink pee again. Be like, yeah, you know, I've hiked enough. I've, I've, uh, I've tested my limits. I found them. I'm good. Maybe he just doesn't hike. Maybe he doesn't hike around boulders anymore. He's like, Uh, fuck those boulders. uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, where where the hell are you going to hike where there's no boulders, I guess, you know? Um, But uh, hiking alone is a bad idea. Uh, Probably be a good idea not to do that again. That Um, was another one that I saw, which was this. There's a few of them that kind of just resonate with me. Because they were just so frightening. Like and, this is that I think I shouldn't be alive thing you're talking about? Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be All alive. Right. And the other one was this, I don't know, do I call her a girl or a lady? I'm trying to think her age. She was like 20, young 20s. And right. she she, and this happens a lot, more than you would think. She went hiking and with her dog, like in a canyon, like... And it kind of looked like a mini Grand Canyon where like there were like mm-hmm. canyon areas where, you know, maybe the the canyons themselves were like 100 feet, 200 feet high. And okay. she started walking through there and she couldn't get out. And she just kept like going for hours and hours. And then she realized she was in the same place where she started. Oh, that would be a nightmare being lost you know, out and you're like, and you're in wilderness, you don't know which way is which, and then you keep coming back to the same rock. You're like, fuck, that rock looks familiar. Man, that would be a terrifying realization to realize I'm lost. Uh, How much food do I have on me? Oh shit, not much. Um, Yikes. So what happened there? So here's the scary thing about that. Like, so eventually she ended up finding water, but um, just like dripping down from like a catacomb or something that was okay. like a, a, you know, so she did get some water. Now she didn't have food and her and her dog started looking at each other like, 
Are you food? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. Isn't that scary? But, like to to think about that actually happening. So man. like when that happened, her dog bolted. Oh, like he her dog sensed that she was looking at him like, hmm, maybe mm. I'm going to eat Fido. And Fido's yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> I see that look in your eye. Animals are good at picking up on your intentions. They can tell a good person from a bad person. And he was probably like, whoa, mama going to eat me. They can read energy. Yeah. Wow. They can read energy better than we can. Uh, the dog took time. off, huh? Yeah. Dog fucking took off. He's like, fuck that. I'm a scavenger. I can go find some food somewhere. I'm not going to sit around and wait for you to eat me. Yeah, you're not helping me in this situation. You're looking at me kind of cross-eyed. Wow. Uh, I think it's time that we part. Imagine that. I mean, wow. can you just imagine the feelings on that right there? Just oh, man. what may have been going through the mind. I mean, it's it's kind of like, uh, in a way, it makes me sad for life sometimes, you know? Just about well, what, how... What could be more yeah. raw life is the need to sustain life. And like that's a tough situation to imagine yourself in. But then, like, the next level up, think of all the scenarios where people have had to resort to cannibalism to live. Um, that's a very unthinkable thing. Uh, I think about it because I'm weird, and I guarantee I would do it. Um, but, man, would that be a hard decision, and revolting and disgusting and all that, but I would absolutely do it. I mean, I, I think that anybody would. Of course you know, they would. Un you know, I mean, it's like you can just admit it. But I love the Simpsons did a thing on cannibalism, and I, f I forget the episode or what was going on. But essentially, Homer was in, in a scenario where he had no food and had to consider cannibalism. And it had only been like an hour or something like that. And he's just like, I'm hungry, you know. And they're just like, hey, just wait, you know. And, and he couldn't wait. So he resorted to cannibalism like almost immediately. Mm -hmm. It was pretty funny. That's totally Homer thing to do. Anyway, yeah. what were you saying? Um, well, that that can lead into. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I I can get into the dark side of that just because sometimes the things that are pushed through the avenue of the television or um, have agendas behind them, but I won't go there. Um, but there is a story of a, a two families that were traveling west. And this was back in the gold rush days. Oh, okay. This was like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The great westward migration. But when there, when there was no ocean route, no Panama Canal, you had to travel from the east to the west, uh, cross, cross country, overland. And uh, those were the days of the big covered wagons. And that was like the Donner Party days and all that, right? I'm not familiar with that. All but right. what I know about the story is that there was a point where they had to go either left or right they came to a fork in the road Ooh! and that fork on the right side it was going to potentially save them a few days okay it was a on the left side three more days oh they chose you know which one they chose they chose the shortcut the shortcut had a blizzard waiting for them oh and they had to hunker down and um i don't remember the specifics but there was some, unfortunately, cannibalism involved in that just to survive. Yeah. We got uh, dark on do? this one. We've been getting dark on this one. But hey, you know, this is real life. Um, uh, well, it's an interesting topic. And it just goes where it goes. You know, I yeah. mean, I don't know how we got from potty training to cannibalism. But uh, here, we, <laughs> here we are. 
<laughs> and uh, man, I uh, man, that makes me think of that movie. Um, fuck, is it alive? Where the soccer team is flying over the Alps or some you know crazy snowy mountains and the yeah. plane crashes and I think it's alive, right? True story. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, great movie. Um, and uh, the, you know what are you gonna do? You know, especially when they they had a unique circumstance. They didn't decide to like start. Um, some of the people died in the plane crash, so they. There were corpses there from day one. They crashed yeah. in the Alps. A few people died. A lot of people survived. And the people who survived were faced with, all right, how do we find food? Um, water was no problem because there was snow everywhere. So they just melted some snow on like a, on a metal sheet or whatever. And that's how they, you know, got water. But food was an issue. And they already had corpses. So they, of course, exhausted every option they had searched every bag on the plane for every scrap of food or candy or peanut or whatever the hell they could find. And once all that was exhausted, uh, they had frozen corpses in the snow, you know? So that is kind of an obvious one. Like, Hey, those four people are already dead and frozen. So let's, uh, you know, eat them. And then people continued to die of starvation or of their wounds or whatever. And then it became like a thing of, you know, kind of like, uh, eating people who were alive not long ago on this on this perilous journey, but now they're not alive. So and then you eat them, and uh, that was that was pretty gnarly. And in that movie, dude, they actually hiked or, or or a chosen crew of of the most robust survivors hiked out of the mountains, and they took uh, you know uh, some provisions of of you know human portions. And hiked out of the mountains and got help and sent back rescue planes to rescue the rest of the survivors. Like, what an incredible story of survival and fortitude and and uh, just the human will to live. And um, what are you going to do, right? I mean, you're, you're yeah. crashed. You're stuck in the mountains. There's already corpses there. I think you're going to resort to eating those corpses pretty quickly, um, well, as quickly as you need to, when you're starving to death and it's either like, Hey, I'm either going to starve to death or there's food right there. You're going to eat the food, regardless of what that food is, regardless if you used to play cards with that food, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to eat. You know, Whether you used to play cards with that food. <laughs> what, Whether what you played backgammon with that food or not. Yeah. That food matter. was a good guy, but now he's food. So, you know, bummer. You may have enjoyed a good chess game or two, but yeah, you know, yeah, it's food. How do you um, I know it's like one of those things. It's just like, it's. You know, from our standpoint, we're, we're we're in a comfortable situation. We're like, oh god, that's so disgusting. But you know, you you can't put yourself in a position where somebody actually would begin to think about that. But it's a hundred percent plausible. Uh, totally, it happens. Um, and that's just what you do. You're a human. You're an animal. You need to live. You're going to do everything you need to live. And regardless of our civilized mindset and our, our, our learned association with other animals, they're still animals and their meat will sustain your life. And you're going to make that choice, um, sooner or later, and maybe different for everyone, but, uh, the vast majority of people out there are not going to choose to starve to death while there is edible meat accessible. So yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's shitty. Oh, how do you, how do you pick? Okay. So imagine this scenario, you crash in a plane, you're stuck in the snow, you're starving to death. You have to eat a person. There are two corpses in the snow 
available for you to eat. They're identical in every way, except one of them was an asshole you didn't like, and one of them was a friend who you did like. Who do you eat first? Honestly, I think that, um, just full disclosure, I don't think that a thought experiment would work here. Like, to, to actually equate it to that situation that you're in, you All can't. Right. You, you just can't. There's no way. I mean, there's so many different um, circumstances and so many different nuances to that situation. There's no way to replicate that in our head. Uh, okay. Well, maybe I'm just weird because my answer is I would definitely eat my friend instead of the asshole. Uh, and here's why. Well, I, I can spiritually... I can, Maybe not spiritually uh, accept that, but I, I get you. I get you, though. Better energy, right? Is that what uh, kind of... Well, for one, I think my friend would taste better. I think if someone was a jerk, I would automatically go just like, God, I hate this guy. He even tastes bad. Like, fucking pissing me off after he's dead still. Hate this guy. Um, uh, it might have my laughing so hard at this. <laughs> my friend, uh, like... Like, uh, if it was my friend, I, I would console myself and make myself feel better by thinking my friend would want me to live. He would want me to eat him. He would be, <laughs> he would be happy to dedicate his now useless flesh to my, my sustenance, to prolonging my life. My friend would be happy to contribute to my, my needs. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I think those two factors, the guy I hate would taste bad. And my friend would want me to eat him. So I think that would be an easy choice. I would eat my friend. But once I finished my friend, I would totally eat the asshole. Uh, because, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Well, I would be honored, Mike. I'd be honored if you ate me. Thank you. That's kind of what I was driving <laughs> at. If we're ever in a position where you and a guy I hate are both dead, I would mourn your loss immensely i would be so sad you're gone i would be completely crushed but i'd still have to eat you have to and uh yeah and yeah and i'm sure you're tasty and <laughs> i'm <laughs> and i would know that you would want me to live and i appreciate that derek it's very nice of you to uh to donate your body um in that way so thanks um from potty training to eating derek yeah, and hopefully that's, there's some that's ketchup where we, on that that's plane how we've traversed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is a very family-friendly episode. Yeah, <laughs> definitely need the explicit uh, mark on this mofo right here. Oh, my God. Okay, well, where do we go from there? Hey, I don't feel so bad about watching those murder shows with you uh, eating everybody all over the place. I was, I was, I was like trying to be on my high horse. Like you, murder-loving people are so un are so out there. What's wrong with you all? And then I'm over here, just like I would eat Derek in a fucking heartbeat. Like Derek even if I wasn't secretly, starving, secretly wanted to eat you. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've I've looked at your calf muscle and been like, yeah, that looks like it tastes good. I'm. I could I could go for some Derek right about now. <laughs> well, <laughs> well we do talk about food a lot on our podcast. And we're we're continuing our trend. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's another uh mud puddle we just stepped in there. I don't know if we can go that food. Um oh, but my yeah. God. Uh not quite hungry yeah. at the moment. No. Um but no, I'm that's thirsty. The, yeah. Man. Well, you, you could pee. You gotta pee. <laughs> you could drink some pee. <laughs> There's always that. Oh yeah. Maybe I can just 
So, like, pee yeah. is obviously okay to drink. Like, it I know is. you can't eat poop. Poop will make you sick. Poop's bad. But mm-hmm. you can you can just drink pee, and that's fine. Like, other than tasting terrible, pee's a pee is sterile. An pee, okay beverage. Pee is sterile. Yes, All pee right. does not have bacteria in it. You can drink pee just fine, and you will survive. Now, of course, your kidneys are going to have to filter out more, and they're going to get less every time. But you know, it's kind of just refeeding it back through the system. Ew, God, it is disgusting. Well, I wonder like how much, okay, so obviously if you're if you're not drinking water, you're not making as much pee. And if you're just drinking your own pee, uh, your body is going to process whatever water is in that pee, and then you're going to pee again, but it's going to be less pee because uh, you can't just like indefinitely drink pee and then sustain yourself by drinking pee. Like eventually you're going to run out of pee, right? Yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah. I mean, I'm no doctor, but you can't just drink your own pee forever. Yeah, no, it's not a pretty situation. And uh, another one of those things, what the other I Should Not Be Alive episode that's coming to mind, these things are so dark. Um, But you know what? Uh, Yeah, shit like that happens, though. And it's interesting, like the the turmoil of humans. I mean, we're out there, we're doing things, we, we end up hurting ourselves and getting in bad situations. And you can't deny that it's not interesting to see what a guy does when he's stuck on a rescue raft for 60 days. Like, yeah, that's terrible. Um, but how did he do it? How do you how stay alive you? for 60 days? And you, you know some of the common theme in this, I mean, it's not some of the common theme, it's always the common theme, is that these, guys, these people, not guys, these people faced imminent death. And they were forced to say, I am going to die. I am going to, there's no way I'm fucking surviving this. How, right. how is it that I'm going to, and the common theme is when they realized that they were being uh, rescued or they realized that they were not going to die. And oh. they, the joy that they express about that moment mm-hmm. where they actually realized they weren't going to die. It's just like, um, you have Why to listen to them explain it. Oh, listening to the person explain that must be hard. It must be really hard for that person to even put it into words. Like, I can't tell you, guy who's interviewing me in an air-conditioned room after we both had a nice meal, I can't tell you how it feels. Like, I can try to tell you, but I'll never be able to really make you understand what it feels like to think you're going to starve to death alone in the water and then see a boat and realize you're not going to starve to death. How could you ever put that into words? Yeah, there's there's zero way. There's because most of us have never faced imminent death. We don't think we're going to die. We actually think yeah. that we're somehow going to survive forever. We yeah. don't see our imminent death. And well, it's comforting to lie to yourself and, you know, avoid the thought of dying because it's not pleasant. Yeah. And, yeah, and we Arguably, we we probably try to we avoid that at all costs, you know. Well, we try to honestly. My opinion is we try to make up stories to comfort ourselves because the fear of death is so scary, uh, and the idea that we're just going to be gone is so unfathomable that we make up stories about uh, you know afterlife or or better places or all those other things, um, and that's certainly a fertile ground for debate. But uh, that's my thought on it. Is You're right. We're I, we're just organic animals and when we die we uh kind of fertilize the ground and become worm food and that's the cycle of life um i don't believe there's anything beyond any of that uh i just think we're just like a a fox 
who dies in the woods and he rots in the woods and he goes back to fertilizing the plants in the woods. That's, that's us. That's all organic creatures. Um, and, From an uh, organic it, perspective, I, I can agree with that, but I don't think that um, because there's a witness to this body, it's not just an organic body that's functioning without a witness. Oh, so okay. that witness, what happens to that witness? And if we are to believe some of the, uh, I guess, just science is that energy never dies. Um, energy cannot be destroyed. I think that's just one of the tenets of uh, acceptable science is that energy energy cannot be destroyed. Right. And so what happens to that witness? Wouldn't, okay, so sticking to my perspective, uh, when I die and I rot in the ground, my energy is then transferred into fertilizer for the soil, which transfers into growth of plants and regeneration of life in that or energy in that form, which goes on to feed other animals and plants or whatever, like kind of that cycle of life's energy of um, the next the next generation or becoming worm food, basically. My energy is transferred through to worms. They transfer it into dirt and then plants and then animals and then all over again. Yeah, but that's your body. Yeah. Can you can you locate the witness oh, of, of your like body? Like my consciousness? Yeah. Okay, so I'm less uh, lofty about my opinions of, of my own self-awareness or my life force, per se. My own personal thought is it's all just kind of electrical signals that are created within my organic body, and all of that just stops when I die. Okay, but energy cannot be destroyed. Do you uh, subscribe to that? Uh, okay, well, yes. I just don't see my personal awareness, my thoughts and everything that I think of that, that is me, that is Mike inside of this organic chunk of flesh. Uh, I don't think any of that is technically energy. I think it's just maybe the result of a functioning organism. And when that or when the organism ceases to function, all of the energy within it is just kind of transferred back to the planet in whatever form. Yeah, I think there's, um, well, personally, I, I think that the witness of of a life is a separate type of energy okay. than the actual physical form. Because if you look at like, if, if you were to create a robot, right. right? a robot is not self-aware. A robot is, does not witness its own life. A robot does not know sure. that it knows. Right. Right. So that, so to me, that knows that it knows is a separate form of energy. And because of that uh, belief that I have there, I don't, I don't think that that dies personally. I think that that is um, something that persists. Okay. And, Do you feel uh, that way for, for all living things, just people like even ants and cockroaches and eagles? Yeah. Yeah. I all think right. there's a consciousness. Okay. There. And that, that, uh, that, uh, I mean, if I was going to, uh, illustrate kind of how I think that that works, I do think that there is kind of a, a rebirth and a, um, a, a waiting process to rebirth. I think okay. there, that, um, I think when we die, that 
we kind of uh we potentially may find like perfect peace during that time okay but um i well, think I imagine that it is pretty peaceful to be dead just like okay nothing it might be too peaceful for us all right oh like you know, I'm bored. It, like man i've been dead for 20 minutes and i'm already bored out of my mind you we're i i think a lot of times that uh the people that are alive right now it's because we are addicted in some form to the form uh to the highs and lows that we do want to experience the full spectrum of what life has to offer and i think we're attracted to that and i think that's why we're here is because of that and then you know when we're when we when we're here you know part of the experience is trying to uh uh, ironically normalize this life so that we're not addicted to circumstance and all the constituents so that we can find perfect peace while we're here amidst activity. Okay. Uh, but then we, when we die, we experience things without activity yet. Sometimes right. that's too perfect for us. So we are, our addictions drive us back to a human body. So do you think there's still some awareness or consciousness after a person that self-aware dies. So a person, he knows himself. Yeah. He's like, I am Bill. And then Bill's dead. Does Bill's remaining energy still know it's Bill? Well, do you know that you're Mike when you dream? Sometimes. Well, then I like, would say sometimes. And then that carries through, you know, okay. I think there, that may be the remnants of, of uh, what carries through. Sometimes you don't, right? But when you dream, uh -huh. certainly you don't, uh, picture yourself as the body well sometimes you may but uh it's kind of a life onto its own right i mean it's not sure. you know you're living mm -hmm. in a world where you're dreaming and uh we can we can take kind of a, a nonchalant attitude and say like oh it's you know just our mind playing tricks on us but i don't believe uh -huh. that all right yeah it's interesting it's nice to hear perspectives like that because mine is so cut and dry and bleak that uh anything else other than what I think happens would be nice. Cause mine is just like, yeah, you're dead. You turn off and that's it. It's over. Um, so that's a bummer. I, I, I can relate to it though, because I was the exact same way like 10 years ago. Yeah. 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 Like pe people would talk to me like, and when I say people, I'm talking about like my Zen teacher, he would talk to me mm -hmm. and he didn't teach me any of this. Um, but he would talk about his experiences that were like this and my immediate only thought that I had a lot of times was just bullshit. Uh, I didn't, I didn't believe it. And really what it came down to is that I just wasn't able to see it. Mm -hmm. And as I started to, um, open my mind to the possibilities of what actually exists in front of me, I started to understand that I didn't know jack shit about like what actually, how, uh, the depth of this world and how, well, how I'm just, my, my eyes are closed in so many instances. Well, that's an interesting thing to, to bring up because I think opening your eyes to options and outside thinking or out of the box thinking or different perspectives of your own is a monster revelation. Um, I also think none of us know jack shit about any of what we're talking about. It's all just speculation. Like no one, uh, no one knows, right? What happens once we die? Like there's even people who have died and have come back from dead, but I don't truly believe they died. 
They believe that their body stopped working and was able to made was able to be made to work again in time to prevent death is kind of my thought on dying and coming back from the dead. Right. Uh, so my kind of thought on that is, all right, you, you, you stop breathing, your heart stopped beating, like your body stopped working and then paramedics or whatever was able to revive you. And you started working again before maybe like you're saying your energy force left your body entirely before you were unable to be brought back. Like the lack of oxygen ruined your, your brain enough to where you can, come back or even if your brain was ruined and you still came back to life but you're not really yourself anymore your brain was was damaged too too much in the process uh any of those i i I don't know that i believe and i'm no doctor i don't know i'm just saying i don't know that it's true that you can die and come back i think your body just stopped working and you were able to be made working again before you actually died Uh, i never actually thought about that anyway before i just kind of thought about it out loud right now so that was an impromptu thought. Yeah. You know what? There, there's a great book and I'm struggling to remember what it is right now, but it was by a, a neurosurgeon and he, he thought along the same kind of black and white kind of pattern that you did before okay. he had this experience. All right. And what happened was uh, one morning he woke up and he had like a massive headache and it turns out that he had like he was suffering a, an acute episode of bacterial meningitis. Oh, and was he drinking pee? <laughs> could have been, but I think yeah. he was in bed, so I don't know why he would be drinking his own pee in bed. But they took him to the hospital, and he went into a coma, and he went into a coma for I don't remember how many days. Let's just say ten, I suppose. But he All comes right. back, and they they. They had him hooked up. Remember, this is a neurosurgeon. Sure. This guy, this guy is a neuro, and he's the son of a neurosurgeon. Okay. So he's not just like, you know, he, his life is revolves around the brain. And when he came back to life, he talked about his experience that he had. And during the time when he was brain dead, he registered zero activity in his brain. Nothing, yeah. nothing was there. Yet he's like, no, there's not, there was not nothing there. There was an entire world wow. there. So when he came back and he speaks about his experience, you have to um, look it up. I'll see if I can find it. But um, in that brain activity, I think you're right in equating that or assuming it's got to be something similar to dreaming. It's like kind of what else could it be, right? Yeah, but then then the the larger question comes in is like, what is dreaming? Right, right, uh, right. Yeah, his no, name I'm... is Eben Alexander. That's him, and uh, right. it's a great. This is a great book. I probably should have uh, uh, talked about this one because I did read this book. Do it on um, the next book show. Yeah, I'll talk about Eben Alexander, and there's another one too. It's called Biocentrism. Ooh, uh, life changing books. I, I don't know why I didn't think about that before. But yeah, even Alexander. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So it's called Proof of Heaven. And Proof of Heaven, this is from somebody that was previously an absolute atheist. And I'm not saying you have to believe in like, oh, there's like uh, the man God that, you know, but there is, there's definitely, in my opinion, 
there is there are no coincidences sure and and i i used to not believe that i used to believe that everything was a coincidence and everything was random uh but i just you know i i don't think that i had found um my eyes weren't open at the time uh-huh yeah, it's really easy to assume that it's that simple. I've got it all figured out. Yeah, there is nothing after life. You just die, and that's just it. Okay, cool, moving on. It's easy to check that box. And that's a view of death from life, you know? But uh-huh. who's to say that after you die, that's not a new birth? I sure. mean, it, it makes sense, you know, maybe from the standpoint of, of life, you know, you, you die. You can't you, slam the door on it. It's just as likely as anything because we don't know. Yeah. 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 So this but, guy um, energy basically I, I, yeah. so so this guy died, had zero registered brain activity, medically speaking, but he's mm-hmm. like, Yeah, no, no, there was all kinds of rad shit happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Huh. He he it's goes into like, um, I think he even met, you know, previous people that had died. And that sound and that gets into a new realm of like, oh, that's even sounds far out. But, you know, sometimes I think that um, you know, uh, the physical form that we embody is also a, a projection of our mind in a way. And it may not be the projection. I mean, realistically, that's true. Like you can look at somebody and they might look sad. Right. That, and you can tell that the physical form represents the mind state. Um, but then you have to also consider previous history of the individual to where, you know, that may account for the physical appearances that, that we see of people. Yeah. Okay. I know I'm getting a little deep here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We've come a long way from potty training. Yeah. Potty training to uh, reincarnation. Um, and no, it's really interesting to hear these kind of perspectives. Um, because I can be very black and white in my line of thinking, and I like it that way. I think it makes life easier. So whether or not I'm totally convinced I'm right, it's easier to go with that assumption, I think, is my, is my transparent belief system, is it's just, there's nothing I can do about it. There's no likelihood that I'm going to figure it out before I die. So it's easier just to go like, hey, when you're dead, you're dead. Like, why even fucking worry about it? Um, focus on living. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm also totally convinced that I don't know, and I don't think anybody truly knows, so it's an interesting subject to explore. And I think anyone who tells you they definitely know what happens when you die or, you know, who is controlling people, you know, I, oh, I definitely know what God's up to or whatever the equivalent of that might be, um, is, uh, is not worth listening to. Because well, here, here's here's the counteraction to that that I would say is that I I agree with you. There's there is no way there there's no like full blown proof. There's no way that if you thought you had proof that you can convey it to somebody else, not sure. going to happen. Never going to yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. Now and and I and I'm not I'm not coming from a standpoint where I don't understand what you're talking about. Like I I can literally remember my Zen teacher telling me some things that like um, there was uh, somebody special that lived out back and and it was one of his uh, very close friends and it was a lady. He spent a lot of time with her. 
um, we all kind of thought she was cuckoo. She was a little bit crazy. Now, right. he would tell some experiences that she had, and at, I viscerally remember saying, like, that's nuts. Like, that's that's just absolutely crazy. <laughs> She's batshit crazy, but but thanks for the story. She's batshit crazy. I, I am not lying to you to this day, and that was probably 10 years ago, that the one person that I actually most closely correlate myself with is her. Huh. And that some of the, and, and that I, in retrospect, I understood what she believed now. And I believe all the same stuff that she had believed. And I never, huh. ever, ever, ever would have thought that because I, I am fact-based, proof-based oriented. I am like, you know, but literally like I, I didn't have a lot of contact with her, but I heard from uh, second and third hand what it mm -hmm. is that she believed in everything. And I am like, I, I regret not having, well, it wasn't time, but now I could, if she was alive, I could have a, a very meaningful conversation with her. Her name was Soko and she okay. was a Japanese lady. Um, and, uh, I think she was about 84, 85 when she passed. Mm. Wow. Yeah, kind of a bummer to have missed that opportunity or have not have to have not recognized that opportunity while it was an opportunity. Like, man, I I wish I would have talked to this person about this or even just spent more time talking to them in general. And now they're gone and I can't and I I miss that opportunity. That's a, that's always a bummer. And it's a good thing to keep in mind um, when you look around your life and and decide where to spend your time, because nothing in your life and the people around you will not always be the same and will not always be there. So it's a good thing to remember that, um, like we talked about before, we're all going to die soon. So if someone is around you that you think you may want to ask something or talk to them about this one of these days, or when I get around to it, um, just do it now because, uh, uh, time passes pretty quick and chances like that go away. And once they go away, you never get them back. Um, you know, I, so. I, I do generally agree with that, but I have to say one caveat with that is that, um, you know, towards like year eight, like after I started coming around to sing a little bit about what it is that she saw, uh -huh. um, I knew that we were both seeing the same thing. Okay. Was she still alive then? She was still alive then. All right. And, but there was no natural way for me to engage her about that stuff. And I kind of well, like, you know, may, maybe it's just me and my personality. I don't like seek things out and I don't force the, I don't, I try not to push the river. Uh -huh. I could have pushed the river and I could have gone to her and I said, what do you think about this? But it just, the opportunity never presented itself. So I just never did. And maybe that would have been cool. Maybe it was a big missed opportunity and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's just maybe. enough to know that um, things that she believed that you were aware of you thought were batshit crazy, and then you turned a corner or became more expansive in your thinking and realized, hey, that's actually in line. And maybe that epiphany was um, good enough. And whether or not it was good enough doesn't really even matter whether it's um, good enough or not good enough. It just is what it is. So appreciating it for what it is is, is cool. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, you yeah. know, just appreciating everything for what it is is, is, is always a good plan. We can always hope to have gotten more out of something. And I do think it's important to look around your life and just go like, okay, what am I putting off? What would be important to me if 
if I died tomorrow, what would I regret not doing? That's always a good thing. When I think about uh, my grandparents is, is one of the, for, the most, most forward in my thinking examples of that. Like there were certain things I wish I would have asked my grandpa um, yeah. before he passed. And my grandma, his wife, my mom's mom, she passed away way too soon and suddenly that um, I think a lot of people who loved her were left holding the bag and thinking, God damn, I didn't see that coming at all. She, uh, she had an unexpected illness. I think it was a stroke. Uh, if it wasn't technically a stroke, it was essentially the same, like fine one day, straight into the hospital, never talked again, lingered in the hospital for a long time, and, but, but essentially just was gone in an instant. Um, and, uh, uh, situations like that really make you realize that, man, you really need to kind of, uh, cherish the people around you and the opportunities around you and, and, uh, live for now, man, live for now, bro, because it's, uh, it's all gonna, it's all just fleeting, man. It's so true. Yeah. And just look <laughs> at yourself, you know, I think that's, that's, uh, like the biggest, biggest tenant that I, I try to have is just like look at myself honestly don't lie to myself yeah don't try to don't lie to myself about what it is that i want and i'm what i actually want um you know those are all things that you can you can get involved in a pattern of lying to yourself for uh, extended periods of time oh it's super easy and comforting to lie to yourself and we all do it to some degree, but trying to be aware of that and trying to minimize it as best you can is always a good plan because it's so easy and comfortable to lie to yourself. That's uh, it's an easy trap to fall into, right? No, yeah, definitely. So, all right. Well, I think this is a great place for us to cut it off. We've covered a lot of ground. This was <laughs> uh, this was a fun one. It's yeah, always fun talking to you. We really kind of uh, dig into some crazy shit. And we've yeah. established that I would eat you. And, <laughs> and, and I'm uh, honored, Mike. I want you to. I, uh, I, we, have, we have elevated our friendship to a new level today, <laughs> my friend, and I appreciate it. And uh, I will be sure that anytime we travel together, I'm going to bring ketchup. I'm going to have a tag on me that says, do not eat. Unless you're Mike. Unless you're Mike. Mike can eat me. Mike can I'm, eat me. <laughs> that's, no one else may eat me, but Mike, uh, bon appetit. <laughs> all right great time today man have a great yeah. holiday weekend and uh say hi to the family okay we'll do mike all right have a great one bro later man hey this is mike thanks so much for listening we really hope you're enjoying the show and if you are we uh, would really appreciate your help if you could subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app that would be awesome and it would also make sure that you get notified every time we put out a new episode um, also, if you're enjoying the show or if you know of someone else who might enjoy the show, share it with a friend. You could send them a text, share it on Facebook or whatever social platform you're using. That would be super cool. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, you could follow us or hit us up on Twitter. Our Twitter name is at Derek and Mike pod. You can also check out our website where we got pretty much links to all of our stuff and whatever we're doing. So that's a good place. And that is Derek and Thanks again. We really appreciate you joining us. And we look forward to talking to you next time.